Evidence and Answers. How do we effectively share the true Jesus with the Jehovah's Witness? Often Christians are intimidated in sharing their faith with a Jehovah's Witness or leave frustrated after engaging them in a discussion. Many feel that they were simply throwing Bible verses back and forth like a scriptural ping-pong match. How can we effectively share Christ with a Jehovah's Witness? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, Dr. Ron Rhodes, discuss strategies that will help every Christian effectively share Christ with a Jehovah's Witness. Let's join Pat now as he discusses this topic with Dr. Ron Rhodes. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where each week we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And one of the things we do here in apologetics is we also give a defense of the true gospel of Jesus Christ against false teachings that are out there. And one of the most prominent cult groups that are out there are the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I had a conversation with one of the premier scholars in the area of cults and comparative religions, Dr. Ron Rhodes. And he has written a recent book here, Conversations with Jehovah Witnesses, and giving you practical strategies on how to witness to Jehovah Witnesses. And so before we bring Ron on the air, I want to just briefly summarize the basic doctrines of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now presently, the Jehovah Witnesses are one of the largest cult groups to come out of the United States. They're in over 240 countries. Their material is published in nearly 600 languages with over 100,000 congregations, over 7.5 million total in number. And perhaps one of the most impressive things about this particular group is that they have recorded over 1.5 billion hours preached by their members. They're one of the best trained and also one of the most evangelistic and aggressive of all the cult groups that are out there. And so it's important because I think all of us listening out there, believers in Christ, have encountered a Jehovah Witness. And so it's important we know how to engage them in a productive discussion. Many of us get discouraged because we feel we're in a scriptural ping pong match where we throw them a verse, they throw us a verse, we throw them a verse, they throw a verse back at us. And many Christians get discouraged. They feel they're in a ping pong match here. But if you know how to engage a Jehovah Witnesses and what verses to bring up and how to lead them to the truth and understanding the true God and the true Jesus Christ and the true gospel, you can have a very productive conversation. Now, I'm going to begin with just sharing you a little bit of some of the, just a brief overview of some of the basic beliefs of a Jehovah's Witness. Now, the Jehovah Witness movement was begun by a man named Charles Taze Russell. And Charles Russell, early in his studies of the Bible, rejected the doctrine of hell and the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. And so, he began teaching that at death, man is simply annihilated or going to a state of unconsciousness. And he denied the doctrine of the Trinity. And what the Jehovah Witnesses teach is that there is one God and his true and only name is Jehovah. And that Jesus is a lesser God. That he's the first thing that God created. And then through Christ, he created the entire universe. But that Christ is the first thing that Jehovah God created. He's actually Michael the Archangel, who 
who at the incarnation became Jesus. And then upon his death, his body was disintegrated, never to appear again. And he returned to heaven as Michael the Archangel. And one of these things this group is also known for is their extreme interest in biblical prophecy. And one of the things they're most famous for is many of the dates they predicted in which Christ would return. And they were wrong on several of them. They predicted Christ would return in 1914, in 1918, 1925, and the most recent, 1975. And if you look in their literature, they're just riddled with a lot of false prophecies. In fact, another embarrassing false prophecy is found in their book, You Can Live Forever in Paradise, on page 154. It states there that some of the generation living in 1914 will see the end of the system of things and survive it. And they have a picture there of many elderly people. And what they're saying there is that the Jehovah Witnesses of the generation of 1914 will be alive to see the return of Christ. And of course, if the youngest Jehovah Witness, let's say, was maybe 10 years old, they would be over 100 years old by now. In other words, that generation is gone. And so they had to change that doctrine in their book and get rid of that statement there, which they did in 1995. As they saw, they had another false prophecy on their hands. So if you can get a copy of their red book there, uh, you can live forever in paradise prior to 1995. That's a very interesting record of false prophecy, another recent one there that you could show them. But their literature is riddled, unfortunately, with a lot of false prophecy there. Jehovah Witnesses also believe that the Holy Spirit is not the third person of the Trinity, but it is God's active force like electricity or fire. In their book, You Can Live Forever in Paradise, on page 40, it states, As for the Holy Spirit, the so-called third person of the Trinity, we have seen that this is not a person, but God's active force. And Jehovah Witnesses believe that when a person dies, there's not an immaterial soul or spirit that exists in heaven uh, with God. They believe that once you die, that's it. You simply cease to exist. States here, once again, in their literature, You Can Live Forever in Paradise on Earth, page 78, it says, God did not create man with a soul. So as we would expect, when man dies, his soul dies. They believe that the soul refers to the physical body of man so that when you die, simply you go into a state of unconsciousness there. There's no immaterial essence that goes to be with God the Father in, in heaven. Only the Jehovah Witnesses the 144,000 they once thought were made up of those who were of the generation of 1914. Only they could be part of the 144,000 would go to heaven and rule with Christ. The average Jehovah Witness, when you die there, you simply go into a state of unconsciousness there. And in their doctrine of salvation, they believe that the death of Christ gives you the potential to be saved now and from then on it's a works oriented kind of salvation salvation true salvation comes from faithfully serving the organization so like most cult groups it's a works oriented salvation christ gives you the potential now to be saved but from then on everything focuses on the organization and serving the organization once again 
from their book, You Can Live Forever in Paradise, page 132. It states, but in what special way does God expect loyal support to be given? Like Jesus and his early followers, they must be loyal spokesmen or proclaimers of God's kingdom. And so it is the hope of every Jehovah Witness that they have done enough so that they could earn their salvation. But that's not a sure thing in any kind of works-oriented system. You're never completely sure of your salvation there. And so those are some of the basic beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, in engaging a Jehovah's Witness, I asked Dr. Ron Rhodes, what is the strategy that you have in engaging a Jehovah's Witness? And one of the things he pointed out is that, first of all, you've got to have the right attitude. One of the things that he was concerned about is that a lot of us in apologetics and a lot of Christians in general have a very condescending attitude or very hostile attitude to those in the kingdom of the cults. And so if you're talking to a Jehovah Witness or Mormon or anyone else in a very condescending or hostile manner. You're not going to have a very productive conversation and it's highly unlikely you can develop a good relationship with them to where they'd want to come back and engage with you. And both sides get very defensive and voices raise and it's very difficult to have a good reason conversation with them that would really penetrate their hearts and leave a great impression with them. One of the things he made clear is that they need to see Jesus shining through you. I mean, the presence of Christ must be present as they're conversing with you and that perhaps they don't agree with you. But boy, if they like you, if they sense the presence of Christ, they're likely to listen and engage with you and really think about the things you're saying. It's much more effective. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. And a lot of us forget the last part of this verse. But do this with gentleness and respect. And in many translations, the word respect, there is reverence. And the Greek word there is the same one, same reverence we use in the reverence we show to God himself. And so we want to be gentle and kind and respectful when engaging Jehovah Witnesses, not to be hostile or condescending in our demeanor. Remember, we're not out there to win a debate or to make them look silly in front of people. We're there to be a witness for Christ and to share with them the truth of Christ and the love of Christ in a very gentle, loving and respectful manner. Now, in engaging a Jehovah Witnesses, one of the best places to start, especially if your mind goes blank, is to share your testimony and how you came to know Jesus Christ. And in your testimony, focus on Jesus and what he has done in your life and how you have a personal relationship with Christ. And also focus on the grace of God. That's something foreign in the Jehovah Witnesses. As Christians, we serve God or we love God and and we serve him from grace or because we are saved. In the kingdom of the cults, they work for grace or they work in order to be saved. And so focus on Jesus Christ and the grace of God that you've experienced in your life. Another thing you can do if your mind goes blank is to keep on asking good questions. You know, questions like, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Or can you show me that verse? Or 
How do you know that's true? Those are some great questions to ask Jehovah Witnesses. And as they point things out to you, look at those verses carefully. Often a lot of them are out of context. And you can ask them, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Or is that what the verse is really saying? Let's read it in its entire context. So ask them good questions. Make them prove their point. Often it's surprising when they're asked that question. A lot of them are not well trained in backing up their theology there. They're told what to say, but often not question, how do you know that's true? And so that's a great approach to take with them if your mind goes blank. Now, there's some great verses that you can bring up, which is in Ron Rose's book, Conversations with the Jehovah Witnesses. And he brings up several in the book that'll be really handy to bring up. Let me just give you a couple here. One of the things that Dr. Rhodes does in his book is he often pairs verses, especially those from the Old Testament with the New Testament. And often you want to bring up these verses and just ask Jehovah Witnesses about these. For example, one of the ones he shares is Isaiah 44:24. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth, by myself. So Isaiah 44, 24, it's clear that Jehovah God, and we're going to use Jehovah, the term they use, that Jehovah created all things by himself. He didn't have the aid of anyone else. But when you look in the New Testament, it says that Jesus was also involved in creation. For example, John chapter 1. Verse 2 says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And so Jesus is involved in the creation of the world. Colossians 1.16 states, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Yet in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24, Jehovah God says, I created all things alone by myself. And so you can look at the Jehovah Witness and say, here in Isaiah, Jehovah says he creates all things by himself alone. Yet we have several verses here in the New Testament where Jesus is also the creator and involved in creation. Now, don't we have a contradiction here? and allow them to explain that. And here's another verse. In Isaiah 43:11, Jehovah says, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And so Jehovah, or God alone, says he alone is the Savior, and there is no other. Yet when you go to Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it states this, While we await, the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in Isaiah 43, he says he alone is the Savior. Yet, in Isaiah 2.13, Jesus says he is the Lord uh, or God and Savior. And so you can look at a Jehovah Witnesses and say, look, in Isaiah 43, Jehovah alone says he is the Savior Yet, here in Titus 2.13, Jesus is called our God and Savior. And how would you explain that here? And you try to, you, know, you allow them to try and explain this. Those are a couple of verses that you can bring up 
with them in a kind and gentle way and allow them to explain it. And one of the things that you want to do, you know, Jehovah Witnesses, when they come to your doorstep, want to talk about the Christmas tree or birthdays or why the government is evil. And those are interesting conversations, but getting into a discussion with that, with them for an extended period of time doesn't bring anyone to salve, you know, won't bring them to salvation. What you want to do is talk about the things that will lead them to salvation. And that is, who is Jesus Christ and the gospel that Jesus presents and the salvation that Jesus Christ offers? That's where you want to take the conversation to. And so one of the things Ron mentions in his book, Conversations with Jehovah Witnesses, he may talk a little bit about the government or blood transfusion or the Christmas tree. And after a couple minutes say, you know, that's an interesting conversation. But, you know, what does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? Could, could we talk about that? And there, in a gentle way, you've turned the conversation from something irrelevant that could go on for an extensive period into something that really matters, the person of Jesus Christ. And to, in a gentle way, bring up those verses that I mentioned there. And here's my conversation with Ron about other ways in which you can effectively and productively engage Jehovah Witnesses as they come to your doorstep with the right attitude of gentleness and respect and how to share with them effectively the true person of who is God and specifically Jesus Christ. Now here's a side, a side point. Our little rabbit trails allowed here, Pat. Can I just mention something that's real important? Absolutely. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. He is a mind blinder. And so there's a spiritual element here. One of the ways that Satan has blinded the minds of Jehovah's Witnesses is that he keeps them so focused on Watchtower teachings that they can't really see what the Bible says for itself. He's a master at doing it. Now what you want to do is uh, to counteract that is to keep taking the Jehovah's Witness back to the supernatural Word of God, which is the Bible, but you also want to pray, and pray specifically, that God would open their eyes so that they can see. I'm thinking about Lydia in Acts chapter 16. You might remember there that it says that God opened her eyes so that she could understand the gospel. That's what we've got to pray for Jehovah's Witnesses. Lord, open their eyes so that they can understand the gospel that I'm sharing right now. And so that's just kind of a side point. You know, There's a spiritual element and not just a mental intellectual element here. And so it's a complete packet. You don't want to just answer questions. You don't want to just share facts. But you also want to be loving, and you want to recognize the spiritual element that Satan has blinded their mind. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I think that's where a lot of Christians get frustrated is that they're discussing a verse, and then the Jehovah Witness may respond by throwing a couple more verses at them, and then they try to answer those verses, and then a couple more verses get thrown at them. And what you're saying is absolutely right. You just need to... Bring them back to the verse that you were discussing about and see if, you know, they'll wrestle with it and give you a good answer on those verses. You really also, Pat, have to make sure that you open up the Bible in every case. You know, very often they're going to quote verses on the doorstep, and as they quote verses, they sound authoritative. They really do. I mean, they sound like they've got their rat together. You know, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned how well-trained they are, and they are well-trained, and they sound like they've got all this knowledge. But let me tell you something, it is critical, absolutely critical, that in every case that they bring up a Bible verse, that you open your own Bible and go to that verse and consult it. 
because very often they have twisted Scripture in some way. And what you want to do is open the Bible to see what the Bible really has to say and then ask them questions based upon what the Bible really has to say. Don't let them get away with just citing some verse without you looking it up. You know, just to give you an example, Pat, you know, I was talking to one Jehovah's Witness once about birthdays, and they said that birthdays are evil and that the Bible proves that birthdays are evil. And they said that Matthew 14 proves that. Well, so I looked up the Bible verse, and what the Bible actually says is not that birthdays are evil, but rather Herod, on his birthday, had John the Baptist executed. You see, and they extrapolated from that that birthdays are evil. Well, that verse doesn't say that birthdays are evil. It just says that Herod did something evil on his birthday. That's why you have to look those verses up. They're going to cite verses like they think it proves what they're saying, but when you actually look the verse up in context, you can see that they're reading something into the Bible that is not there, and what you want to do is keep on asking them questions. If your mind goes blank, just ask, where do you see that interpretation in this verse? What made you come to that conclusion? Why do you believe that? You know, keep on putting the burden of proof back onto them. Right. You know, that's a great point that you make. Now, suppose you stay on your verse and then at the end they said, okay, well, I don't have a good answer for you. What do you do then? Do you say, all right, let's take a look at the verse you brought up? Or what do you say at that point? Okay. Well, if they can't answer it, there's several things that they may say. Okay. Now, in the best of all possible worlds, it's a first step towards them becoming believers, and you want to lead them towards the truth in a magnanimous way. You want to help them to show face and not make them feel embarrassed or dumb for falling for a lie. But more often, they're going to say, well, I'm going to talk to the elders about that. They might even choose to bring an elder back to talk to you. Most often, what they're going to do is to continue to try to segue away and raise other verses that seem to indicate their point. Just to give you an illustration, Pat, Let's say that you're talking to them about Revelation 3.14, you know, that verse earlier that I mentioned that says that Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. If they feel cornered by what you say, if you prove to them that that verse really indicates that Jesus is the creator, then what they may say is, well, well wait a minute, I mean, how does that deal with John 14.28, where Jesus says that the Father is greater than me? And what about Colossians 1.15, where it says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation? I mean, those verses seem to indicate that Jesus came into being at a point in time. So what they may try to do is to argue theologically by raising other verses that seem to support their viewpoint. And I think that's the majority response that they'll do. They'll just go to other verses like that. Yeah, and and that's why I was going to just bring up a very important principle, and that is you have to have the patience of Job. Don't ever get impatient. You might think to yourself that you're wasting your time on the doorstep. In fact, if a Jehovah's Witness rings your doorbell, you have a kingdom assignment, and you have to take whatever time is necessary to answer their questions, and you have to do it patiently. The chances are they're going to bring up many verses that they think argue against your position, and you have to patiently, one at a time, deal with each of those verses. And I can promise you that if you show that patience and continue going over those verses, you will make progress. But keep in mind one important principle here. Some Christians I've talked to, in fact, a lot of Christians I've talked to, get discouraged because they don't see a conversion on the same day that they share the truth with a Jehovah's Witness. We need to keep something in mind. Sometimes God has us just plant a seed. 
There's other occasions where we get to water a seed. In other words, we continue sharing the truth that somebody else has already been sharing with them. On rarer occasions, we get to see the flower blossom. In other words, we do actually get to see a conversion. But the point that I want to make is that don't get discouraged as a Christian if you don't see a conversion the same day that you've shared the truth. Don't ever get discouraged. You be patient just like Job was, and you just keep on sharing the truth whenever you have the opportunity to do so. And what you want to do is handle yourself in such a kind way that they want to come back. Because I have found that very often it takes more than one exposure to the truth for them to become believers. This concludes part one of Pat's interview with Dr. Ron Rhodes on his latest book, Conversations with a Jehovah's Witness, a book that will give you practical ways to share the true Jesus with a Jehovah's Witness. If you would like to hear this entire interview along with Pat's other interviews with Dr. Ron Rhodes, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by this show, please support Pat in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us again next week as Pat and his friends continue to present reasons for faith and hope in Christ. Join us here next week or on the web for more evidence and answers.